Winston Churchill once said that success is not final and failure is not fatal. Against Italy last summer, England failed by the narrowest of margins, losing on penalties in the final of the European Championship at Wembley. Since then, Italy have proved the first bit of Churchill's quote right as they failed to qualify for the World Cup, while England hope for redemption in Qatar. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. I'm joined by a man who rarely has to worry about failure when it comes to tipping. Mark O'Hare went all the way to Australia to try and get away from me, but I keep on pestering him for the best bets. Mark, let's start with that repeat of the Euro 2020 final. This time England-Italy is at Molyneux. It's behind closed doors because of what happened in that Wembley final, or rather outside that Wembley final. Um This is a really interesting game, isn't it? Because Italy have made an unbeaten start to the Nations League, drew with Germany, got that win against Hungary. But they're in a weird place right now because Roberto Mancini is playing a lot of young players that many kind of casual watchers of Serie A probably haven't even heard of. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So Italy, of course, started the summer playing that game against Argentina and they were pretty you know, badly beaten up in, in the finalismo or whatever you want to call it um, at Wembley. But yeah, since then, they've kind of, uh, the old guard have sort of stepped aside and Mancini's called up a, a lot of sort of Serie A youngsters. Uh, so there's no Verratti, there's no Jorginho, Benucci, Immobile, uh, Berardi, Zaniolo, players you probably would expect to see in the squad. Um, no Insignia as well. And if you look through the roster, there's only two of the squad actually have won 40 or more caps. And the, the top goal scorer, I think, is Nico Barella. Um, and no other player has scored more than five goals for the Azuri as well. But um, in fairness, you know, if you watch the way the market has moved before that game against Germany, which we previewed and we said, we, you know, we fancied Germany going into that game. We weren't really aware of the team that Italy were going to pick at the time. And the market moved drastically in Germany's favour. But they produced a really impressive effort considering the 11 they selected that day. You know, a creditable 1-1 draw in that match and then moved on to the game against uh, Hungary, which we expected to be a tricky one. Um, very expen- experimental side again, but they played pretty aggressively in possession and, you know, deserved deserved the win. Uh, it could have been much more than the 2-1 margin, apparently, and I didn't see the full 90 minutes, but I've seen the highlights and, you know, they created chances in that game as well. So they'll come into this game kind of full of confidence. But um, as you say, you know, this game's taking place at Molyneux, a very small crowd expected. I think it's under 14s if they're accompanied by an adult. And even still, it's going to be quite a, a very sort, sort of small crowd if there is any. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a strange atmosphere too. So it does sort of tip the balance a little bit uh, instead of sort of having a your standard home field advantage here. But, um, you know, with these all these matches, it's very difficult to kind of second guess any of the teams playing, uh, particularly England now um, with Southgate, you know, sort of mixing and matching things. And, you know, England still have a game against Germany to come next week as well, which will be uh, a key one in their mind. I feel that that's the, the one, sort of the barometer, if you like, the real test again. So interesting to see what Southgate does with this team. But uh, the market's favouring England here quite quite substantially too. Yeah, it's with England, I thought that was a strange game against Germany because I thought they were outplayed for the first 60, 65, 70 minutes of that. Jack Grealish comes on, changes the game. I think that might be his role for England going forward as a a, a really impactful substitute, maybe. But 
you know, they're a work in progress, aren't they? There are things to fix, but it's not the the drama that I think some people are making out. I think Gareth Southgate's probably had a bit too much criticism, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I'm not Southgate's biggest fan, but I, I think I said on the last podcast, perspective is needed because England have made tremendous progress. And, you know, if you look at the what they've achieved under Southgate, it's hard to knock it. So I know they've had some reasonably uh, cushy sort of rides towards the semi-finals and finals of competitions, but even still, you know, the conditions in Budapest were difficult. Um, it's been long end of a very long season. The players have looked pretty fatigued and jaded. Um, I imagine it might be a little bit difficult to kind of get yourself motivated when the season's ended and you're looking forward to your holidays, but you've kind of got to go away for international duty and play four games, which, let's be honest, aren't going to have a huge bearing uh, on England's future. They probably will still qualify for the next com- major competition without having to go via the playoffs. And, you know, the Nations League is, is just a decent test to play other good nations. But um, yeah, I, I agree with what you said there about the, the Germany game. They weren't fantastic, but the, the sort of ending to the game where he kind of unleashed uh, Grealish, Jared Bowen came on as well and made a, a decent late cameo as well. And England looked good. He changed the system again, 4-2-3-1. Phillips had to go off early, but I thought that was a blessing in disguise because we saw Jude Bellingham put on a, a really classic display and um, showed everyone what he is capable of. So, but uh, yeah, a couple of sort of interesting tidbits I found from the game. It was England's most experienced 11, starting 11 under Southgate, which didn't sort of catch my eyes at the start of the match. And they only had 37% of possession as well, which was the third lowest in competitive games under Southgate too. So it took them a long time to find their range. I think they found things difficult with Jeremy's press. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the way in which they've ended the game certainly will breathe a bit of confidence into the team. And I expect Jack Grealish now to come into the team and, and could provide a, a serious threat now against Italy too. In terms of Italy's forward line, we've seen Wilfried Nyonto come in who scored, scored goals for Zurich as they won the Swiss Super League title against the odds. Nobody expected that to happen. You've got guys from Frosinone in Serie B. You've got, you know, 20-year-olds, 22-year-olds. But there are, in that kind of mid-range, a couple of players that you've been talking about on here for quite a long time, actually. Guys like Giacomo Raspadori, Gianluca Scamacca. So they've got I suppose Roberto Mancini, having failed to qualify for the World Cup, now does feel that pressure to freshen up the squad because he's got to say to people, look, I am moving this squad on. I am trying things. Yeah, and if you look at the age profile of the players left in the squad since the, the finalismo when he's he's kind of allowed those senior players to leave, if you like, the most of the forwards, the midfield, and the majority of the defenders are all the age 28 or under. I think Florenzi's still there. Um He's the captain now. He's, he's the most experienced. Acherby's there, who's getting on a little bit, but he's had an outstanding season again with Lazio as well. Uh, Spinazzola, of course, coming back from injury. I think that's just about kind of getting him back into the national team fold. But elsewhere, um, Locatelli um, still kind of, uh, I wouldn't say he's reached uh, kind of his prime yet after a, a tricky spell with Juventus after what was a, a really exciting move for him. But yeah, across the board, Barella, he's selling 25 as well. Got so much more in his legs. But um, yeah, there's also some players, you know, hands up, I haven't even heard of the, the, the as you say, from Frosinone. I've not seen him play, so I can't comment. No, I looked at him um, on the list and I must admit, I went, I don't know who that is. Uh, we obviously watch <laughs> a, a huge amount of, uh, of European football, but I had to look and think, I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, in these sort of situations, it's, I think you've just got to hold your hands up and say, I don't know, because uh, rather than sort of speculating and pretend you've, you've seen him play a few times, you'll get found out quite easily. But yeah, I, I don't know. the Twitter was, but... where you mean. 
the Twitter way, which <laughs> yeah. is to go, yes, yes, uh, here's my profile of ZB. <laughs> no, you don't know who he is. Yeah, best to put your hand up and say, I've never seen him. Yeah, but yeah, all the others, uh, certainly the Sassuolo boys, uh, really excited to see them, to see how they can sort of push on now. Um, I know Milan have shown a lot of interest in all of the, the Sassuolo stars and there's talk that those deals could be pretty close to completion. Tonali as well has had a good season with Milan. Love him. Um, he's yeah. been in the squad and, and doing pretty well too. So there is talent there. Um, I think Emmett talked about it previously on the show, um, about maybe the top talent in Syria isn't quite as good as we, we like to think and expect after watching the league sort of inside out. It's an entertaining league, but um, you know, it's now an opportunity for these guys to show that they can compete at the highest level because England away will be a difficult match. So in terms of the angle and the way in here, what do we think in terms of this clash? Yeah, so I've got no massive desire to back England at sort of 175. I think it's it's a fair price um, just because of the Italian squad. If Italy had most of their frontline players fit and available and selected, we wouldn't see England anywhere close to this price. But um, I don't expect it to be a high scoring match. So if you wanted to back England, I'd be looking towards England and under three and a half goals at 2.1. Uh, so 1-0, 2-0, 3-0 or the 2-1. I think that's probably fair enough. But the, the angle which does interest me, and I know he's the top of the list, he's favourite in this market, but the anytime assist angle of Jack Grealish, um, he's 13 to 5. Um, you know, he came on, he hugged the touchline, ran at defenders, picked out passes, you know, into the penalty area, actually sort of threatening passes. Harry Kane could have scored twice from Grealish passes against Germany. Um, I think he'll kind of arrive at this game with a, a point to prove, if you like, particularly after Gareth Southgate's comments after the match, which was... I think a little bit unfair on Grealish, considering he's just had a full season with with Pep Guardiola. He's sort of suggesting that tactically he's probably not quite there yet. And you know, I think if you spend a full season with Pep Guardiola, you probably are there or thereabouts tactically. So uh, I think Grealish has had a, a tricky-ish season with Man City, but I think we saw what he's capable of when he's kind of let off the leash a little bit in that sort of last fifteen minutes against Germany. So if he does get a start, obviously it's dependent on that. Um, I think the 13 to 5 on him to assist at any time is, is a reasonable sort of bigger price to sort of get your teeth into. Now it's worth checking out the Betfair Boost. Betfair's already enhanced prices on Ackers where you can increase the price even further with the token in your bet slip. T's and C's are in the description. 18 plus, see gambleaware.org. Wales have started their Nations League campaign with two defeats. They lost to Poland and lost to the Netherlands, but they played second string sides in both of those games. The main prize, of course, was World Cup qualification, and they were able to secure that with a 1-0 win over Ukraine. They face Belgium on Saturday, Mark. We'll start with Wales. It's difficult to judge where they're at because... They actually played quite well against the Netherlands. They equalised very late on before Wout Weghorst scored with virtually the last touch to give the Netherlands the win. And it doesn't seem to matter who Rob Page plays. They're always very well organised and competitive, aren't they? Yeah, um, I've always liked Wales. I've always liked trying to keep Wales on side because of that. There seems to be a system in place. It's yeah, They do have some world-class individuals, but... It seems to be a case of whoever's in that 11 knows their job, knows their process and is capable of producing a competitive display. And the record books, as you say, will, will read two defeats from two in the Nations League. But if you read between the lines, I think there's plenty to be positive about. Obviously, sandwiched in between, you've got a World Cup qualification, which was the only stat that really matters right now for Wales. But um, 
you know, they, they had a much changed team against Poland, but in a really decent shift. Uh, and then against Netherlands, made seven changes. Um, so there was no Ramsey, no Allen, no Hennessy. Bale only coming on as a late sub. But um, they went toe to toe with both Poland and Holland. And you know, I know Holland made 11 changes themselves, but even still, you know, Wales put up a decent fist. And um, yeah, I think at home uh, against Belgium now, you know, things have kind of settled down since the World Cup qualification. I think this is a really good test for Wales, particularly with the World Cup in mind. And I think Rob Page will sort of revert to a very strong 11. Um, very difficult to know for sure, but we kind of have to read between the lines. And yeah, Wales aren't normally easy to sort of dispatch, really. And those sort of unfortunate Nations League defeats we've just seen, are there any losses in 12 since the Euros? And that Dutch defeat was their first at home in 19 as well. Um, but one thing that was quite surprising, actually, when I was sort of doing prep for the for the Dutch game is their record against the top tier of teams since 2018 hasn't actually been that strong. So if you look at results against Belgium, Croatia, Denmark, England, France, Italy, Mexico, Holland, Poland, Spain and Switzerland, they've won just once, drawn three and lost 11. And if you limit it to, to, to basically the real top echelons of those teams, Belgium, England, France, Italy, Netherlands and Spain, it's six defeats from seven winless matches, which is quite surprising, really. But yeah, I'm not going to read too much into that because... Um, yeah, I, I just, we'll sort of move on to Belgium, but it's difficult to know where they're at really as well after what happened against the Netherlands and then sort of to, to sort of bounce back with a, a 6-1 thrashing of Poland. As, I guess it's typical Belgium. You just don't really know what you're going to get from them right now. And that was only their third win in their last eight games. The previous two victories in that spell came against Estonia and Burkino Faso. And they only managed to shut out Burkino Faso in that eight-game sequence as well. Um, I think it was Emma who was talking about them on the last show as well, but defensively, they're out Thibaut Courtois here. Still very much reliant on Alderweireld and Vertonghen, 33 and 35-year-olds. Jason Dunayer is, is unavailable through injury as well. And there's no Lukaku. Um, but, you know, I, I even think without Lukaku, I think there's enough in that team going forward um, to cause Wales problems. It's just defensively, particularly with Martinez in charge, where you would have concerns. So um, in terms of this match, I think Wales can be very competitive, but I think the best bet here... Um, is to back the 1.95 on both teams to score, which I thought was quite a big price, actually. It's banked in seven of Belgium's last eight and seven of Wales's past nine. And we kind of associate Wales with being quite a, a compact and quite a, a rigid uh, and resolute defensive structure. But um, yeah, seven winners in the last nine for both teams to score backers. So uh, it seems to sort of suit what I think might be on show here. Wales fielding a, a strong 11 um, and Belgium missing some key components defensively too. Just before we move on from this one, Mark, are we guilty of overhyping Belgium a bit? Because we've got caught up with this whole golden generation thing. And we did it with England, didn't we? We said, oh, they have to win something. It's the golden generation. But international tournaments are incredibly difficult to win. We know that. And Belgium got to the semi-finals of a World Cup. They were edged out by the eventual winners in the European Championship just gone. And it was a good, really good Italian performance to, to knock them out. So is there an element where Belgium are probably where they should be? Yeah, I, I think so. I don't think they've been. Uh, I understand what you're saying. I, I think now, possibly right now, they, they might be slightly still overrated. But I think certainly over the last decade or so, I think... Um, I think they have, they've been rated absolutely fairly. You know, they've had an outstanding squad to select from, uh, particularly at the, the the World Cup. I think it was Brazil when when Brazil knocked them out. Um, was it Brazil? Um, yeah, Brazil did um, knock them out. Yeah, yeah. memories fading. Yeah, they're, they're a fantastic team, and they're in a real real chance in that World Cup. But um, 
Yeah, I think I don't want to sort of point fingers at Martinez, but I do wonder whether they had a, a more sort of tactically savvy head coach in there. Perhaps they might have been slightly better set up and maybe capable of of kind of uh, going the whole way. But major tournaments, you require a lot of luck. And, and Belgium, I'm not going to say Belgium were unlucky, but um, they were there or thereabouts for a few few competitions. But I wouldn't say they were overrated. Um, I think it's quite easy to knock them because of Martinez being in charge. But I think certainly five, six years ago, if you look at the squad available to them, yeah, sure, in certain areas, they were a little bit short, but um, some of those names they had available to them coming through at sort of the prime age, you would expect them to be challenging, and they were. So, yeah, uh, it's just one of those things, I think. But uh, coming into the World Cup, certainly be probably one of the teams I'm I'm looking to fade at short prices. Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet, so Betfair's now offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds, over, under, and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. To continue our Saturday special, let's look at the other game in Wales's group, which is the Netherlands against Poland. Poland's had a strange old start, Mark, because they managed to beat uh, a second-string Wales team. We've talked about how awkward Wales can be. Had to come from behind to get that win. They actually took the lead against Belgium and then completely fell apart and lost 6-1. So where are Poland at? Good luck with that one. Um, I think they're probably better right now than they were maybe six to 12 months ago um, under Paolo Sosa. Um, I think since the Euros, they have been slowly making steps in the right direction. However, we talk about Belgium's golden generation. I'm not going to say Poland or anywhere close to having the same sort of players and personnel available to them, but their playing pool has diminished a little bit in the last 18 months or so. If you look at the individuals available to them, clearly there's a few outstanding world-class stars there, but there's also a lot of kind of mediocre journeymen from across Europe. So the playing pool has diminished. But um, yeah, if you look at their sort of results record since the Euros, seven wins, two draws, two defeats, you'd say they've been doing pretty well. But actually five of those wins are against Albania, Andorra or San Marino. So yeah, I mean, it's tricky. It's hard to sort of assess and analyse where exactly they are at. But I still think they're probably... A third, a third seed, a third seed team um, on the international circuit. If you're looking Easy in Europe, for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I just think defensively, they they they're just uh, too too weak. Really, we know what yeah. they're capable of going forward with Robert Lewandowski, but I think they've scored in the last twenty games now, which is really quite a feat actually in, in international football for a side like Poland. But actually, both teams have scored in sixteen of those, so you know don't need to work out they've only managed four clean sheets in 20 three of those came against those teams I mentioned Albania Andorra or San Marino so um, there's clearly a lot of work to be done defensively um, if they're going to try and go toe-to-toe and outshoot teams uh, outscore teams it's going to be pretty difficult and if they do that try and do that against the Dutch it could be pretty difficult and if you look at the prices for this match in Rotterdam Netherlands are are very highly rated by the market 1.47 shots to to win the home match so clearly um, the market doesn't fancy Poland too much. And to be honest, I wouldn't be backing either team at the prices. I think they're probably about right. The Asian handicap set to, at one and a quarter, which might look a little bit stiff um, for Poland. But um, I still think there's plenty to prove against the, the better teams in the group. Yeah, Netherlands, I, I was thinking about World Cup contenders this week. And I looked at the Netherlands. I looked at their group that they've got, which is Qatar, Ecuador and Senegal. And you just think, with a great coach in charge like Louis van Gaal, they've got a decent shot, haven't they? Because you look at the depth they have available at centre-back. 
Matthias De Ligt, obviously. They've got Virgil van Dijk all being well. Guys like De Vrij, who, who has won Serie A with Inter. There's great quality there. Dumfries, I think, is getting better all the time as a, as a right wing back. Frankie de Jong, as long as he doesn't end up in some kind of nightmare at Old Trafford and it goes well, <laughs> if he goes there or, you know, stays at Barcelona, you've got to think he could be one of the best midfielders at the tournament. And they've got a bit of firepower as well. So where are they at in your thinking? I know it's early, but in terms of your thinking for later on this year in the World Cup, where are Netherlands in your thoughts? They are on the radar, whether they can go the distance or not. Um, I still got a question mark over that. And you, you mentioned sort of in the final third, I think that would be would be a slight worry of mine. Um, who can I really sort of hang my hat on there to score goals? Um, it's Memphis, just talk about isn't home. it, really? Yeah. Um, and he'll relish the opportunity to sort of carry the can. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd want a Lewandowski or Harry Kane, someone like that to, to really fancy them. But you know, plenty of international teams have the same concerns as well. So you look at Spain, um, Italy, I know they're not the World Cup, Germany. Um, you know, there are a few issues kind of hovering around some of these leading nations. So perhaps it's not the biggest concern I should be having. I think the group is fascinating, actually. I mean, Qatar, I think, will probably be a surprise for some people. I think they can be reasonably competitive in that pool. But Ecuador are always a bit of a wild card, they're always a difficult team to play. And then um, uh, Senegal, who are, are very, very strong. Um, so it's a tricky group, but you'd expect them to come through it. And then from there, the the whole thing opens up for them. And I think, you know, you mentioned that the strength of the squad, Louis van Gaal was able to make 11 changes for that match against Wales. I know they weren't brilliant in the game, but they still got they the job okay, done. They looked okay though, and, didn't um, they? Considering it was, a, you know, nowhere near the team that you would think would start the World Cup. They were quite competitive, I thought. Yeah, they were. And you know, the hardest part of this whole Nations League campaign at the minute is trying to second-guess lineups, particularly when we're talking a couple <laughs> of days before matches, uh, getting to groups of teen news early. It's always a, a challenge, but I didn't expect you know, Van Gaal to make 11 changes and I was a bit concerned about it. But um, yeah, they, they played well. Um, and you know, I think um, back in Netherlands for this match, uh, back in Rotterdam as well, I always quite like Dutch when they do play in Rotterdam. Um, it's a bit more edgy, isn't it? You get a bit better atmosphere around there than perhaps yeah. in Amsterdam. So, um, yeah, I expect Van Gaal to sort of revert to his his best eleven again, just because they're playing at home and they've you know obviously had a bit of a rest now against Wales. They're still unbeaten against Van Gaal. Uh, I don't really like using it too much, but the word momentum is definitely sort of flying around now with the Dutch. They've scored in every game. They've scored twice or more in eight of their last eleven. Uh, overs, is, overs is cashing quite regularly as well in competitive matches. But in terms of this match, I thought it was quite interesting that the market as expecting 2.85 goals and therefore over two and a half goals is trading at sort of 1.78, 1.8. It's odds on therefore for three or more goals in this match. Yet both teams to score is trading at 2.02 on the exchange. So unless you're backing the Dutch to score three or more goals, surely the value there is to support both teams to score. Because as I mentioned, Holland are 1.47 to win. The Asian handicap is one and a quarter. So you kind of throw the ball into the melting pot and surely the Dutch, <laughs> the, sorry, not the Dutch, the, the both teams to score bet there is, is the one to really appeal. If you do like the Dutch, pattern to win and both teams to score at 3.25. But I think the, the BTTS at 2.02 is is really quite nice when I mentioned those those Poland stats as well. BTTS winning in 16 of the last 20 as well. So, um, And also, you, know, you mentioned the, the, the plethora of options, but uh, Virgil van Dijk is, is being rested as well. So that obviously slightly weakens that defence, even if they can bring in some frontline stars from elsewhere, like Inter and Juve. Yeah, that might be one of the 
bets of the weekend, that one. I think that BTTS, I've got a good feeling about that, which is probably a curse. So sorry about that. <laughs> um, there is a derby of sorts as the Republic of Ireland take on Scotland. It's been a grim start for the Republic, Mark. I know we've talked about that a fair bit on these shows, but they've lost now to Armenia, lost to Ukraine. It was a, a changed Ukraine team. Although I think people keep underestimating Ukraine. I found it amazing that the price is ahead of that game. And I just think the, Scotland are in better shape, aren't they? And um, probably by quite some distance at the moment. Yeah, they are. Um, well, I don't know what else to say about Ireland at the minute. Um, you feel like you're talking, you're sort of taking one step forward and then two, three, four back. Um, you know, in each international window, um, you can sort of try and be positive about the game against Ukraine and say, well, the only goal came from a, a fortuitous free kick, but Ireland were ponderous in possession again, lacked any sort of cutting edge in the final third. We talked about the squad lacking any sort of X factor, but the midfield is so pedestrian and uninspiring. There's absolutely no invention or flair there. The fact that they're still relying on Jeff Hendrick is, is quite worrying, really. He's barely able to get into the QPR team. And when he was, he was dreadful in the championship at the end of last season as well. And I think the, the biggest kind of telltale sign against the Ukraine was the closest they came to scoring was a Shane Duffy header. Um, you know, it's not exactly inspiring. So that's now 10 competitive matches in Dublin without a win for Ireland, which is the first time it's ever occurred. Um, I just can't see it ending anytime soon, particularly against the Scotland team. I said on the last show, Ireland have, you know, if you take out the sort of the bottom bottom two tiers of, of seeds, really, and they're only competitive wins since 2016. They've come against Italy, the Euros, Austria, and then Wales, and that last of which was in 2017. Goals, they just can't score them, they can't buy them, exclude matches with the minnows. So take out games against Andorra, Azerbaijan, Lithuania, and Luxembourg. Ireland have scored seven times in 17, and they failed to score on 12 occasions. So very, very difficult to find any sort of positives for them at the minute against the Scotland team who bounced back really impressively against Armenia. You know, a bit of a, I'm not going to call it an own goal, but it, they really should be putting Armenia away com comfortably in, at Hamden. But they were very dominant, particularly from the first whistle as well. They really went for them. Probably should have scored a lot more than just the two goals, fired in 27 shots. Steve Clark was was pretty pleased with the performance. Um, he made six changes, but I think uh, quite key was the fact that Robertson and McGinn, two of the sort of leading lights who were drastically underperformed in the playoff game, really sort of came to the fore. Um, and yeah, you're right, you know, Scotland are, are much, much further down the track in terms of development and process than Ireland are at the minute under Stephen Kenny. So, and obviously, clearly, they've got a much stronger talent ball as well to select from. So, yeah, they're definitely good enough to go to Dublin and get to results. But um, the, the only sort of nagging doubt I have about Scotland, and I think it was probably... Um, it's probably there to see against Armenia, actually, is their ability to convert their own chances and put opportunities away. They're lacking a clinical number nine or or someone to sort of rely on in the final third as well. So the goal expect, expectation for this match is, is really low, um, sort of trading around two. Um, BTTS, no, as Jake mentioned before, the Ireland game at the weekend or against Ukraine is again an option. It's 1.87. Um, that's, you know, if there, if you're expecting things to be pretty tight. But um, for me, I, I was really surprised you can get 2.08 on Scotland, zero on the exchange, which is the same as the draw no bets, 2.08, which I think looks a really viable option. Um, you know, me, Kev, I'm always quite keen to sort of get the get the draw on side, particularly in a potentially yeah. tight match or when the, the market's expecting fewer goals, the draw comes into play there. So I think it's always handy to have. But to get odds against on Scotland effectively on the draw no bet market is... It's quite appealing. And if you want to push it further, there is 
a fair price in Scotland plus a quarter on the Asian handicap. But that's if you're keen on backing prices around 1.7 or below. But um, yeah, I think the 2.08 is is a really nice find. Yeah, I've been covering the uh, Daily Acker column on betting.betfair.com recently. And I could not believe the price for Ukraine double chance against the Republic the other day. So I happily hurled that into the mix because... I, I can't see how you could back the Republic with any kind of certainty right now for all the reasons uh, you've just outlined. That's all we have time for on this special international edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. All of the Nations League action covered extensively on our website, betting.betfair.com. Great previews and analysis elsewhere. Plenty of podcasts for you to enjoy. You've got the Wade In and cricket only better podcast check us out on social at betfair or at betfair racing or simply go to betfair.com from mark and from me it's goodbye for now